Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. In this episode, I speak with Freedom Rain from the Stereo app. We discuss the history of the Black Panther Party in celebration of Black History Month. I hope you enjoy the podcast. It's a five-part series, so please do check out all the different parts. And if you dig what I'm doing, picking up what I'm throwing down, please share with friends and on social media. Peace out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just to quickly ahead. add, this is all during the Vietnam War. So you oh got God, time right. to be launching a complete international war and like doing internal uh, uh, political um, assassinations and news campaigns. And like the U.S. was busy during the 60s, bro. Like that's crazy to me. No joke, yeah. <laughs> And like you were mentioning about the FBI and the CIA, there's a now through the Freedom of Information Act, we've mm-hmm. learned about Operation Cointel Pro, right? Yeah. Which is spelled Coin T E L P R O, Cointel Pro, Counter Intelligence uh, Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and, and here's an article right here in the Zen Education Project.org. Cointel Pro teaching the FBI's war on the Black Freedom Movement. Bam. Mm-hmm. So the FBI yeah. was hell bent on putting a stop to this. They declared um, Martin Luther King public enemy number one. Right, and he was this peaceful guy who kind of went along with the script, uh, who right. followed and and who followed the court proceedings and uh, to. Uh, reverse injunctions and other things like he worked through the system completely and so that was my point earlier is okay and this is a question I'm gonna pose to the people listening let's hit this ditty real quick I'm gonna pose this question um, about the Panthers so let's go shout out to everybody in the room I do agree with Mr. Freedom although I believe I don't see black or white I see I see a lot of times that we can better ourselves as people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear some people that I, I definitely feel your sentiment when you say you don't see race. I think we'd all like to, to live in a world where we can be like that. I think it's unrealistic for people who face certain things to not see it. But um, I can I don't think that I'm not offended by the colorblind feeling that people have because that's where we want to get to, right? is where color doesn't matter. So, yep, appreciate your comment. Okay, here we go. This is my question, damn it. Yes, sir. Are the Black Panthers a charitable social um, justice program or, as they're treated by the FBI and was J. Edgar Hoover, when he said they're a dangerous Marxist criminal terrorist organization? Okay, because I've heard this justified in two different ways. There's people who, when you talk about COINTEL program, and when you talk about the the pitting chapters and factions and people and trying to get street gangs to instigate beef with the Panthers and each other, and the and the FBI sending letters between them and and, and uh, making calls and uh, turning spouses and wives and trying to sow discord, paranoia, and and untrustworthiness in all of these players. When you look at that, people say, 
people who were either in the FBI or police at that time and or a lot of uh, non-sympathizers around America or the world will say, hey, the police did what they had to do because it was a dangerous Marxist criminal terrorist organization that wanted to overthrow the United States. Does it have the green light for them to be able to be treated without civil liberties? What do you think about that perception? Yeah, I think I think by throwing Marxist in there, it's a giveaway that that our government is set up to protect corporate interests, right? Because what's bad about Marxism? That doesn't necessarily lead. Terrorism and Marxism are two totally different things, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, well, mm-hmm. why are you talking about somebody's economic philosophy when you're talking about if they're doing a legal or illegal activity, right? Right. Those right. are apples and oranges that shouldn't even right. really shouldn't matter. Um, right. So that's crazy to me, but that really stuck out because our government is so paranoid about this. I mean, look at the the mm-hmm. red scare, of like the McCarthy era in the fifties, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's a Russian sympathizer. Oh my God. Burr, burr, burr. You know, like, <laughs> there's so many periods in our country's history. Like, and then in this period, right. Operation Cointel pro went so far as to um, put per- liberal leaning professors under surveillance and then blackmail them and get them blackmail the colleges to, and get them fired if they didn't have Ooh, tenure. Like, I heard about that. They went to such lengths; it's unbelievable. Um, and you know how that? Do you know how that? Op, do you know how that operation was outed? How? This is beautiful. Somebody broke into the FBI headquarters and stole a bunch of documents, so they outed it to the newspapers in the FBI's own writing, because otherwise nobody now, would ever believe it, right? Now, that's a real hero. I think these are the kind of people. Right. I mean, come on. That's literally what Batman would do if he implicated the FBI. Somebody was high, you know, or they could have worked for them, but knowledgeable enough to break into the FBI and release secret documents. That's heroic in my book. And I know what some people can say, you know, is like, well, that endangers our (laughs) international security because our threats, you know, our, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, with the Edward Snowden case, nothing came out that hurt the U.S., um, except nope. that people nothing. knew what the government, and, and it was all true. It was all true. Nothing that Snowden said was false, and it didn't hurt the country. We know why the government hated that that got released. And uh, mm-hmm. it, <laughs> it hurt the clear. reputation. It hurt mm-hmm. the reputation, but it didn't put us, it didn't endanger our national security at all. And everything turned out to be true. True. Nothing so, yeah, reacted. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. You're right. But yeah, I wanted to follow so, up with that question to the audience and to you. Yeah, is yeah, definitely. what did you think about you know the government and um conservative or any type of people being able to write the Panthers off as a dangerous Marxist criminal organization? And by that uh description and depiction in the media, the government, the police, CIA, and FBI had complete green light to do anything and everything they did to them no matter how unsavory to purge the american infrastructure of them like what do you in the audience and what do you got and dave think about that you talked a little about the the um view of communist a russian sympathizer as a panic word in the american media i think it's i think it's unbelievable because you know i mean the second amendment 
grants us the right to bear arms against enemies, foreign or domestic, and to stand up against a tyrannical government. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what they did. And then mm -hmm. as soon as they arrived at the state capitol with some guns, when Ronald Reagan was there, everybody freaked <laughs> the hell out and changed the law like right away. And, you know, um, well, but but yeah, here's a quote in 1969. Mm -hmm. The first Panthers free breakfast for school children program is initiated at St. Augustine's Church in Oakland. By the end of the year, the Panthers are setting are, are set up. Wait, by the end of the year, the Panthers, blah, 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 the Panthers set up kitchens in cities across the nation, feeding over 10,000 children every day before they went to school. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what you just said is a great quote to kind of undermine the um, perception that I was just talking about, this whole dangerous terrorist organization thing that was constantly the eye of the media's apple to portray them as really violent anti-police, um, is you have to look at the good that was done by them. We already talked about the 10-point program, free breakfast program. We talked about the health clinics that a lot of them were building. At this health clinics, it was giving Black people who, you know, as we know, historically have a very untrustworthy um, relationship with the medical industry because of Tuskegee uh, experiments and everything since the days that black bodies were fodder in the medical system. They did yeah. sequel cell research and other diseases that um, disproportionately affected the black community at these things. They had the newspaper, which so many illustrators and writers were employed. Um, that was the main source of income for a lot of Panthers was working on and distributing the newspaper um, we saw the legal defense and bail fund for when the police would inevitably catch you slipping and try to jack you up. The Panthers would bail you out of jail and help pay for your legal defenses. They started the liberation schools where basically that, you know, sixth point um, about education. Um, they, you know, just again, just not just making a demand, but doing something about it. I think at some point there was over 40 liberation schools around America that taught uh, elementary and school-aged children. Uh, you got, they have firearms training, of course, to get black people more familiar with the Second Amendment that they hadn't been at that point. They would unify gangs going to play, you know, the, like the Crowns or the Lords and getting them to stop uh, having um, street beefs or, or control what comes into their community and work together. They had the Rainbow Coalition, which was these, you know, of course, the you know Puerto Ricans, the Hispanic gangs, the other organizations aim like the American Indians. We had the the white and the Appalachian, the poor um, white people that were part of the Rainbow Coalition, and this was also destroying this whole thing. Like they're anti-white or they're racist. No, they're actually actually building a coalition with all. So these are just all kind of things that the Panthers are doing doing during this time, and we see if the FBI and the CIA is working so hard to work against somebody who's doing all of these things in a neglected area of the black community and the free breakfast programs. Again, I'm out, I'm from out here in Oakland and a lot of the, the organizations that they were getting the food from for those free breakfasts are local community businesses who see the value. And then a lot of these, some of these are, are white businesses who this is their way of contributing and being part of the movement is not kind of just showing up with the BLM sign and, you know, being mad with us, you know what I'm saying? But actually dedicating the resources are things that is not privy to the black community. And so a lot of the free breakfast programs, um, businesses were, were freely giving this without a lot of, you know, press. Like they weren't doing, oh, look at us. We just donated to BLM. No, they're like, 
you don't even know where all that you know all of them eggs came from or all this come from but it comes from the 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 whole foods district down the street you know what i mean so i think that that's really important to talk about all the things that the panthers did it wasn't just about you know the shiny leather jacket and the shades and and being strapped exactly. so mm -hmm. we got a couple messages from dim i'm gonna hit one here let's go so well, you see that's what the government was doing with all of these black revolutionary groups i mean they tried desperately to tie in the nation of islam to communism um mm -hmm. El Malik El Shabazz broke away and started his own movement. They tried to tie that to communism. Right. Um, they tried tying the Black Panthers to communism. Right. It seems like communism is the go-to boogeyman of the U.S. government whenever it wants to <laughs> um, assassinate the character of certain individuals or dismantle groups. Um, it's nothing more than a mm -hmm. fear tactic. Even now, though, you, you hear that right about BLM. They say they're Marxist, they're this and that, which may be true, honestly, I think we as Americans need to not be triggered by them trying to get you to panic over words like socialism and communism. Um, yeah, triggered. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll talk yeah. more about that later, but he's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. You want to hit that next one? Absolutely. We got Dem and the Bill in. Actually, now that I think about it, um, in a recent documentary on Netflix called uh, MLK and the FBI, mm. um, they tried to tie Martin Luther King's Nonviolent movement to communism. Yeah, they because did. Uh, one of his right hand men, I think his name is last name was Lewiston or Livingston. I don't yeah. remember. Um, he was at one point in time uh, a communist sympathizer. So they use that to try and say, well, since Martin Luther King is associated with this man, he mm -hmm. too and his movement must be communist. They sure did. They sure did. And to be clear, the Panthers were Marxists. They had a lot of inspiration from Karl Marx, and they weren't ashamed of that at all. They said, we don't intend to fight capitalism with black capitalism. We intend to fight it with socialism. And when we say socialism, I think it's important to say, because everybody wants to say, oh, look at Cuba and Fidel Castro. Whenever you bring up an example of socialism or communism, they go to these extreme examples. But I, I think it's important to realize that not only does the United States already have social programs like veterans or social um, um, welfare programs, but the Black Panthers were a socialist organization. This is how, not by trying to destroy capitalism, but by engaging in socialism. What is socialism? If a government right. is doing, if a government is doing socialism, it might be a bad thing, right? Because the government will inevitably make it a way to serve the government and not the people. But when an organization is socialist, all that means is that it's providing things like free, where the people don't have to pay and where people are um, have access to these things. So it's nothing wrong with social programs, even though you may be under the pressure that a social government is bad, which I can agree with that. Yep. So, um, yeah. And then so at, right after in this in this article, I'm reading from Marxism.org or Marxist.org. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but right after the uh, food program, J. Ed, a few months later, J. Edgar Hoover, pub, you know, head of the FBI, publicly announces that the Panthers are, quote unquote, the greatest threat to the internal security of the country. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Really? Um, in Chicago, the outstanding leader of the Panthers, local Fred Hampton, leads five different breakfast programs on the west side, helps create a free medical center and initiates a door to door program of health services 
which test for sickle cell anemia and encourage mm -hmm. blood drives for the Cook County Hospital. Mm -hmm. The Chicago party also begins reaching out to local gangs to clean up their acts, to get them away from the crime and bring them into the class war. Mm -hmm. The party's effort meets wide success in Hampton's audience and audiences and organized contingent grow by the day. Contingent, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. On December 4th at 4 p.m. in the morning, thanks to the inform information from an FBI informant, Chicago police raid the Panthers' Chicago apartment, murdering Fred Hampton while he slept in bed. He is shot twice in the head, once in the arm and shoulder, while three other people sleeping in the, in the same bed escape unharmed. Mark Clark, sleeping in the room, in the living room chair, is also murdered while asleep. Hampton's wife carrying child for eight months is also shot but survives. Four Panthers sleeping in the apartment are wounded while one other escapes injury. Fred Hampton was, was 21 years old when he was executed. Mark was 17 years old, according to the findings of the federal grand jury. 90 bullets were fired inside the apartment. One came from a Panther, all the others from the police. Mark who slept with a shotgun in his hand. All surviving Panther members were arrested for attempted murder of the police and aggravated assault. Not a single cop spent a moment in jail for the executions. Mm -hmm. 92 bullets. Mm -hmm. And it's important to... Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's just an egregious... And, and I think... Um, you know, the Panthers did a really great job of following up with that, with local camera crews invited into the Panther home while the bullet holes were still there and the blood stains mm -hmm. were still on the mattresses. The Panthers went in there mm -hmm. and just gave a firsthand account of exactly what happened. And I think that is so important because this is when you start to be this is almost like social media in those days where they were able to have access and be able to do that, because, of course, the official story is going to be the one with all the, you know, the oomph behind it. So I think they did a really good job on that. And again, this is, you need the apathy of a lot of white America, but America, period. You need a lot of apathy to get away with that, right? You need to have been bombarding the airwaves with lots of stories of how violent and dangerous and how crazy the Black Panthers were for people, for yeah. every American who believes in a small government not being able to, barge and in and infringe on your rights in the middle of the night, walk into your house and shoot you like that. Every single American who cares about the Constitution would be in an uproar and we'd have that with the forefathers called the um, uprising overnight. So you, yep. in order for that not to happen, you need to have enough white people in America or average people scared and think that these communist Marxists are, again, are coming for you for them not to stand up because these are American citizens and that's what the Chicago police did that night. It was a execution squad. It was a death squad, you know? Yeah. Disgusting state. Political assassination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in the summer of 1969, the Alliance between the Panthers and SNCC, who's, I don't know. Who Snick. Uh -huh. Begins, begins ripping apart one of the main points of dispute is the inclusion of whites in the struggle for minority liberation a dispute which is pushed into the 
into an open gunfight at the University of California in Los Angeles Holy against the, wow against the group U.S. led mm-hmm. against the group us, U.S. led us. by Manlawa Karenga, which leads leaves two Panthers dead. Wow. In September, in the government's courthouse, Huey Newton is convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to two to 15 years. By 1970, the conviction is appealed and overturned on procedural errors. On November 24, 68, Kathleen and Eldridge Cleaver flee the U.S. to visit Cuba and Paris and eventually settle in Algeria. Earlier in the year, Cleaver published his famous book, Soul on Ice. By the end of that year, the party has swelled from 400 members to over 5,000 members in 45 chapters and branches with a newspaper circulation of 100,000 copies. Damn. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just really quickly wanted to touch on what you said about this, that organization called the U.S. or us, um, as in us against them. Um, This organization was set up to be a prime rival i mean it already existed but the fbi did a lot of work to make sure that the los angeles panther uh chapter there and this gang us would not come together it was it would be catastrophic if they came together so they have letters and illustrations that the fbi was sending to members of us and to the panthers to get them to turn against each other those two people that were shot by those us gang members um it, it, it was later discovered that the, the, the people in us who did those killings were FBI informants. Now, yep. this is really crazy because um, just like in the Fred Hampton, sto- Fred Hampton story, we can see that how easy it is for the FBI and how frequently they were putting informants into their mitts, you know, like William O'Neill. Um, so to have, you know, some to have some infiltrated uh, agents in the Panthers and to also have two agents in the group that they're beefing with and have your agents directly responsible for making those two have a, an altercation. Like, these are smoking guns that it's incredible they got oh. away with at a time. But Kathleen Cleaver and everybody says is that they knew the FBI would raid them, shoot them, arrest them, and do trumped-up charges, but they had no idea how insidious it was that they would be doing all these secret psychological things, playing them against each other. So there was no playbook at that time. No. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um, then this this part is titled FBI Forgery, provoc- provoca- uh, Provocation, and Chemical mm-hmm. War. In mm-hmm. March 1970, the, FBI begin, the FBI begins to sow seeds of factionalism in the Black Panthers in part by forging letters to members. Eldridge Eldridge Cleaver is one of their main targets. Living in exile in Algiers, they gradually convince him with a steady stream of misinformation that the Black Panther Party leadership is trying to remove him from power. Cleaver receives stacks of forged FBI letters from supposed party members criticizing Newton's leadership and asking for Cleaver to take control. An example of such a, letter, a forged letter written using the name Connie Matthews Newton, personal secretary. I have known you, I have, wait, wait, let me make this a little bigger. Here's an example of one of the letters here. Mm-hmm. 
I know you have not been told what has been happening lately. Things around headquarters are dreadfully disorganized with the comrade commander not making proper decisions. The newspaper is in shamble in a shambles. No one knows who is in charge. The foreign department gets no support. Brothers and sisters are accused of all sorts of things. I am disturbed because I myself do not know which way to turn. If only you were here to inject some strength into the movement or to give some advice. One or two steps must be taken soon, and both are drastic. One of two steps must be taken soon, and both are drastic. We must either get rid of the supreme commander or get rid of the disloyal members. Huey is really all we have right now, and he, we can't let him down, regardless of how poorly he is acting, unless you feel otherwise. Damn. <laughs> so they're forging that, all kinds of letters like that. That's yeah, huge. and and thanks for reading that. That actually made me have more understanding into Eldridge Cleaver because I didn't really like uh, Eldridge. I didn't really like that part um, because they did. They ended up splitting into the you know the Newton the Newton loyal Panthers and the Cleaver um, loyal Panthers, mm -hmm. and that that was exploited in the media and the paper. And it really those two going at it really help drive membership into the ground, you know? And again, this is the perfect environment that the FBI loves is pitting two um, organizations like this against each other who have a common goal. And that just must be so sweet to them. And I know this is actually gonna, this same topic is gonna come up in our future talk, uh, Pac and Biggie. I don't wanna get off subject too much, but we see some of these same tactics in these situations. And which means yeah. if it's not broke, don't fix it. And it's been secretly working against the black community for decades, even though it's no longer called COINTELPRO. It's crazy. Yeah. For, for hundreds of years, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. Thanks for saying that. When we talk about the Carthage, uh, the Punic Wars, absolutely. So let's see here. In Bobby Seale resigns from the party while Elaine Brown takes the lead in continuing for the Panther community programs. In the fall of 1975, Eldridge and Kathleen Cleaver return from exile as born-again Christians. In 79, all charges against Cleaver are dropped after he bargains with the state and pleads guilty to the assault in a 1968 shootout with the cops. He is put on five years probation in the Dimming years of his life, Cleaver assimilates a political outlook similar to Martin Luther King, engages in various business ventures, and becomes heavily addicted to cocaine. What? Oh, well. Who is that? Bobby Seale? Oh. Uh, Eldridge. Or, or, oh, Eldridge. Or, oh, no, I'm shit. sorry. Cleaver, Cleaver. I'm sorry. Cleaver. Oh, Cleaver got hooked on the old yep. Coke, huh? I know it got, it yeah. got, um, it got Newton for sure, but, um, wow. And then let's yeah. See by the beginning of the of the 1980s, attacks on the party and internal degradation and d divisions caused the party to fall apart. The leadership of the party had been absolutely smashed. It's rank and file, constantly terrorized by the police. Many remaining Panthers were hunted down and killed in the following years, imprisoned on trumped-up charges. Uh, Mumio Abu-Jamal, Sundiata, Akoli, and many others... Mumio Abu Jamal's been on death row for Bro, decades. Since I was a kid, exactly. And and he didn't do shit. Um, the, the person 
you know, the, the eyewitness it said he didn't do it. Political prisoner, straight up political prisoner, among many others, are forced to flee the United States. Asata Shakur. Whoa. Oh. Still in Cuba. Bless you, Black Liberation uh, Army. <laughs> yeah. As Cleaver would later explain in an interview a year before his death, as it was, the U.S. government chopped off the head of the Black Liberation Movement and left the body there armed. That's why all these young bloods are out there now. They've got the rhetoric, but are without the political direction. Mm-hmm. All, and they have and they've got the guns. And they've got the guns. Without that uh, aim and that leadership in the community, feeling like they can make a difference. And um, it's funny because we can't talk about. Well, I think it's really important to just kind of cap off what you just read and realize that from the 70s to the 80s, um, what happened was is that J. Edgar Hoover publicly made the announcement and internally to all law enforcement organizations that this is the most dangerous organization to the structure of America and this and that and this and that. And with that green light, local law enforcement was able to take the gloves off in every single one of their um, respective areas. So the Chicago murder uh, political assassination of Fred Hampton was just the most blatant and uh, famous case. But through the 20 raids that were happening in those times, um, they showed a map of all of the points on in the United States where Black Panther offices were raided and office and um, rank and file and or their leaders were either killed um, or taken to jail to face hundreds and hundreds of trumped up charges just really to exhaust the money that they didn't have at that point. You know, this was a systematic movement to kill every single chapter and just to let the the Oakland chapter. Um, I think later uh, it, it will tell that Bobby Seale and them came back to Oakland where it started and called all, you know, chapters to kind of close down operations and come back to Oakland and try to, you know, make Oakland the radical city that can then be replicated. Um, but even before they did that, you know, it wasn't, people weren't really joining because the FBI, CIA, and the police have a, a green light on you. Like nobody's going to join an organization where it's literally, as soon as you join, you're getting trailed, followed, tagged, raided, put to, like, nobody wants to do it. So they killed the Panthers, absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is a five-part series, so if you haven't checked out the other parts, do check them out. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm throwing down, please do share the podcast with friends and on social media. Thank you very much.